0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's show. Today, we got a great guest, my old professor, Danny Hassett. Danny, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. First off, just thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And, Danny, today we're going to be kind of talking to you about portfolio management. But before we get into that, can you kind of tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, so my, uh, my first love is math. So I, I studied math as an undergrad, and then went to graduate school to study math. And one one semester, my uh, one of my classes didn't make. And so my my employer at the time he said, "Hey, I work at Dallas Baptist University, and boss said, why 'Why don't you take an MBA class, a finance class? Uh, it'd be good for you to learn about investing.'" And so uh, so since I, one of my classes didn't make in graduate school math, I started an MBA uh, class and and then that kind of got me on the track for finance, and then I, I felt like I felt the Lord leading me somewhere away from the university, and so I just started applying, and I, I didn't look for something in finance. I just, I just looked for any kind of job that involved, like numbers and, and uh, quantitative analysis. This uh, job opening at a financial planning firm appeared on my radar, and I applied. I wasn't qualified, but I applied anyway, and they liked me, and so that that really started my journey into the finance world. Uh, I worked there for two years and got my securities license, and life insurance license, and started uh, the road to the CFA charter. And, and then after two years, I, I came back to the university more in a financial capacity, and I've been involved in the finance world on the periphery ever since. Uh, so that that's kind of been my journey in in finance. No, and it's impressive you were able to get that uh, CFA designation because that very few people have that. Correct? Yeah, I'm not sure how many there are uh, at this moment. When I got the charter back in 2001, I think I was uh, like in the 50, the 51,000 people at that time had the charter. So I think it's probably it's more than doubled since then. It's really grown significantly. It may be. Close to two hundred thousand CFA charter holders around the world now, but uh, uh, it's it's a yeah it it was a it's a fun program. I still uh, am involved in helping write uh, questions for some of the study curriculum and, and different projects that they have on the curriculum side. So it's uh, been a, a really beneficial partnership to me <laughs> uh, with the CFA Institute, and so. And that kind of gets us into the topic today. So we're kind of talking about portfolio management. And so let's just kind of start off with like, what does a day look like for a portfolio manager? Well, a couple of types of portfolio managers. You got the institutional side, like say, for example, a a mutual fund manager. Um, He's managing a portfolio, a specific, you know, with a specific guidelines and purpose. Or you've got financial planners who You know, could be considered a portfolio manager. And that, that's what my background was, was more on the financial planning side. So my, I, I don't, my understanding of how like a mutual fund manager, his average day would look like probably they have investment committees. They would, they would meet to talk about individual securities. And uh, I know they, they rank their security in uh, their investable universe and so they look at you know ones that meet their criteria for investing and and uh and then they do a lot of due diligence you know on these companies and so a lot of a lot of their time is spent either uh, in committee meetings or uh researching companies and, and making making the trades and talking to potential investors so but but that's not been my experience my so I'll I'll give you my experience from a personal financial planning background uh the life of a financial planner is you know, you get up and you, you read over the news of the, of the day. Uh, Wall Street Journal is usually waiting for you in the office when you get there. So you, you read some articles, kind of get, get up to speed on, on, uh, what happened, uh, the previous day. Then you, you start preparing for client meetings, usually meet with the client or two. Uh, you could have vendors who are uh, selling products to come visit with you, like mutual fund companies and, uh different investment products like uh, annuities from life insurance companies uh we had limited partnership people that would come pitch their limited partnership investments uh those those kind of investments are only for accredited investors so a certain kind of client would be an investor for that so you you'd you have meetings with clients and with vendors uh a lot of paperwork when, when you meet with clients uh, which a, a client meeting could be, you know, a couple hours long. If it's a new client, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to understand the client. Uh, if it's an existing client, then you're going to be reviewing their portfolio and, and uh, making some recommendations to them. But whenever whenever you have a new client, there's lots of paperwork involved, and so lots of disclosures you have to provide, lots of documentation that you have to put in their file, and, and so there's there's a lot of mess after <laughs> after the meeting and uh and then periodically you've got visits from compliance officers you know when to you review your files and then for financial planners there's a, a good bit of time they spend prospecting so the financial planner that i worked for he he had a drive time radio slot on a local christian radio station and so from five to five thirty He'd be on the radio. We had a little studio set up in our office and so about four forty-five he'd rush in there and start getting his head, you know, his thoughts together and then uh start the program and um and that's how he got a lot of his clients. And that's actually how I found out about the job opening there, was listening to him on the radio. So you've you've got a mixture of uh, client meetings, vendor uh presentations, prospecting for new clients, paperwork. Uh, and then at the end of the day, also, you know, you're kind of following the news throughout the day, what the market's doing, different things going on. So, you know, you're always trying to stay abreast of, of new information. So it's it's a, it's a pretty, it can be a pretty busy, busy day, just like any job, I guess. <laughs> no, it sounds like it. It's interesting to hear how much really goes into the back end, how much goes into one day for you. For portfolio managers, and that you really do have to stay informed about the whole world, because even the smallest news can really affect how the stock market reacts and people's whole portfolio, portfolio reacts. Absolutely, information is key. You, you need information to make good decisions. Now, you, you don't you don't let information uh, necessarily change your strategy. So, um, or at least not significantly, and we'll, we'll probably talk about that more. The difference between strategic asset allocation and tactical asset allocation. People talk about time, trying to time the market, you know, oh, the market's too high, I need to get out and move to cash. Well, that's 99.9% of the time, that's a bad idea. The, the, the problem with that kind of, that kind of thing is, okay, you get out, but when, when do you get back in? Generally, you you get back in. You end up getting back in at a higher place than you got out of. It. A lot of people, if if you let emotion rule your dis- investment decisions, you'll generally sell at the worst time and and buy back in uh, and also buy back in at the worst time. You'll sell when it's down. You'll buy when it's up. You sell when everybody's scared, and you buy when everybody's happy. And those are generally the, the worst times to do that. You want to sell at, I've, I've, there's a saying, I don't know who, who said it, but you want to sell at maximum optimism and buy at maximum pessimism. I've heard a. I've heard something similar to that. I think it was by Warren Buffett who said, like, be cautious when everyone's being greedy and be greedy when everyone's being cautious. Some, kind of similar. Yeah, that's along the same vein. I think this next question kind of moves into what you're talking about. That, what was the word you used? Diversified or asset allocation? And so, I guess, kind of, what's the process for when you first meet a client to kind of finishing their portfolio, helping them create one for one client or a large number of people? Yeah. So they should be tailored to each individual. And so, a lot, of, a lot of these shops they have, they have different, different uh, buckets that are kind of standardized, and and then they try to figure out which bucket you fall into. And that's not a bad plan. That's actually a pretty good plan. Um, so part, part of being a a good financial planner is knowing your client um, and uh, it actually in the CFA curriculum KYC know your client uh that's a that's a, that's a part of that's a topic uh and so you you've got to know what their goals are their objectives are uh you've got to determine their risk tolerance that's a big 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 part of it and there there are lots of tools there are lots of tools to quantify what, what a client's risk tolerance. You can walk them through some questionnaires. And we did this in our class. I had y'all do a couple of risk tolerance questionnaires to, to see what, you know, are you aggressive? Are you conservative? And that, that helps guide you into, uh, the appropriate asset allocation. And so you've got, you've got to know all that. You've, you've got to know what, you know, what liquidity needs they have and their time horizon and taxes are also uh, you know, are factored into that. Certain investment vehicles are more tax efficient than others. So you, you might want to use an index fund, which is very tax efficient in a taxable account. Whereas in a retirement account, an IRA, you, you don't have to worry so much about tax efficiency. You can just focus on performance and risk. So for individuals, you know, you, you want to tailor their asset allocation, their mixture of stocks and bonds and real estate, and different asset classes. To, to their particular needs, and as I mentioned, a lot of a lot of companies, they uh, or firms, they they have multiple different buckets, and each bucket is to, to serve you know that person' risk tolerance. They have an aggressive allocation, a conservative allocation. A lot of companies that provide retirement plans for their employees, they they have moved to what they call target date retirement fund, and so. What these target date retirement funds do is they, you pick the year that you think you're going to retire. So if you're, you know, if you're just entering the workforce, maybe you're going to retire in 2065. Okay, that's 43 years from now. So say you're 22 and you're going to retire when you're 65. Well, 2065 is, is the, the target date that you plan to retire. So what the target date funds do is, uh it's a it's a one stop shop. You just put you, you put your contributions in it every month. It starts off very aggressive because it's you know forty three years in the future is when you're gonna be needing this money. So it's it's very aggressive because you have time to recover from any losses. But as each year goes by, that allocation becomes more and more conservative. So that the fund automatically adjusts the asset allocation. To become more and more conservative as you get closer and closer to your retirement. So uh, those are those types of funds are select it, start investing in it, and forget about it until you're ready to retire. And so those those are uh, those are I think very prevalent in the workforce these days. I do want to comment. It is better to just kind of invest in something you don't have to think about. I think if like uh, people who try to make a living trading, day trading, or something like that, like the professional poker players I've played with. It's they age very quickly. Honestly, most likely you're not making you're not being the market on average, and you're not making that good of returns as you would holding them. Yeah, no, that, that's right. The security selection is very difficult. There are lots and lots and lots of smart people watching stocks and evaluating stocks, and so your information needs to be better than their, their information to be able to to uh, differentiate the winners from the losers. So stock picking is a is a tough business to be in i'm not (laughs) i would never consider myself a stock picker at all you know uh warren buffett you know he he understands how difficult it is and he won't invest in anything he doesn't understand and you see people you see people all the time that invest in things because they read an article about it or it's in the news well they don't understand the company they don't know the cash flow they don't know you know, what their liquidity position is or uh, you know what their balance sheet looks like. And those things matter. They may not matter in the short term, but long term, those things matter. And so you, you got to be real careful not to get caught up in the fads of today, that the GameStops and the AMCs and, you know, I, I'm probably in the minority, but I throw Bitcoin into that. I, I'm not a believer in Bitcoin. A lot of people have made a lot of money in Bitcoin, but I just... I just, I'm not a fan. No, and I, I will have to say, I do agree with you on Bitcoin and crypto because, and actually, uh, our guest in the last episode, we were talking about it. He runs a checking uh, company that helps pay for pay, Go Payroll. that's it. And he lets a little bit of the companies get paid in Bitcoin, in a sense, where they can kind of have some of their money go to cryptocurrencies And We discussed it like we're going to see um, so many of these cryptos go away. Because when, like, for example, automotives appear, there was like several thousand automotive companies. But now we have like three or four major ones. And we got the same issue with these cryptos. And it's hard to really call it crypto investing when you're really just speculating that this one's going to come out on top. And, yeah, I just... Yeah, they don't don't have... Cash flows, they don't provide uh, dividends. They, uh, you're just counting on the, it going up in price. You know, there are a lot of smart people that probably disagree with me and have some points as to why it's a good investment, but I I have not seen enough of those arguments that have been compelling enough to, uh, (laughs) to change my mind. Um, I don't see them as, as a, a currency because, you know, they're so volatile. I think people that accept payments in Bitcoin. I think they generally rush. If if they're a business, they rush to convert it to U.S. dollars because they don't want that ball rolling either. What it was, it was he like, couldn't It was really paying them, but instead of taking some of their money aside and then transferring it into their crypto wallet, and I think this kind of really adds in the question of like, as a portfolio manager today, we see a lot of people kind of doing yourself investing. Less and less people are kind of going to financial advisors. And so, how? What would you tell people who are doing invest their whole investing is doing it themselves and they're diversifying between stocks, NFTs, cryptos, crowdfunding? Kind of what would you think about how all that looks, and what would you tell those people? What would I tell the people that are doing their their own investing in these things? Yeah, I would tell them invest uh, educate yourself to get get some get some books, understand what diversification is. Make sure you've got exposure to all the asset classes. You know, you don't, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to consistently pick winners. So I I would just be very careful. You've got to educate yourself. Now, you know, if if you really know what you're doing, then more power to you, but make sure that you educate yourself. And that doesn't mean doing the Google search on uh, investing, you know. Read read books. Get arm yourself with with good information. And I could agree more. You Educating yourself is probably the number one thing. And seek advice. Ask people. Reach out to experts. Because as you know, and I know, we both love the investing world. We love finance, but you cannot know everything. And you got to ask for help at some point. Yeah. No, that's that's right. That's right. I kind of want to pick something you kind of mentioned. You kind of talked a little bit about what we were just talking about is that diversifying and managing your risk. So, how did you kind of go about mitigating risk? How do you, how do people just mitigate the risk in investing? Well, I'll start by saying that you you cannot avoid risk. If you avoid risk, then you're going to avoid return too. So, there's there's a risk re- reward payoff. And so to to get the reward, you've got to take some risk. Diversification means you're you're splitting your uh, funds among asset classes that hopefully have not per- that are not perfectly correlated that have a low correlation with each other, so that when one is up, the other is down, or they-, they can have a, s- a lower volatility than each of the asset classes alone. And that that's kind of the whole premise of portfolio management is what's the optimal way to combine all these asset classes. When I say a- asset classes, I mean stocks and bonds and real estate. And commodities and real, uh, real assets and, and precious metals and, and and some people would throw crypto into that. So uh, I will say crypto probably I, I haven't looked at the correlation between you know stocks and, and some of the other the other assets, but they could provide some diversification benefit. But <laughs> I don't know what their long uh, rate of return would be. Anyway, so diversification is coming up with uh, an appropriate. Mix of these assets that's going to give you the best return per unit of risk. So, and by unit of risk, we generally mean standard deviation. What's the, what's the volatility going to look like? There are other measures of risk and we won't talk about that. Um, but, uh, generally you want to, you want to find what, what, what's the combination of assets that's going to give me the, get me the most bang for my buck. And so that's what, that's what investment firms do is they, uh, uh, like Vanguard, for example, uh, I've, I've directed a lot of people toward Vanguard or, or Fidelity, but those are two of the cheapest—I say cheapest, least expensive, lowest management fees fund companies—and they pr- they have all the resources at their fingertips, and they can they can do what's called Monte Carlo simulation, where they they take these asset classes, they they take their historical return and, and volatility figures, they they put it in their, their program and they can project with a certain amount of likelihood given, you know, given the asset mix, given your time horizon, given your retirement income needs, they can show, t- tell you what the likelihood is of you either outliving your money or growing your assets. So that kind of analysis is, is what uh, I think is extremely valuable because ultimately, why are we investing so that we can, we can at some point retire and have enough money to live. So that's that's what they they can do and there's a lot of math which is the part I love that goes into that a lot of statistics they have the capability to do that for you. So, okay, so back to sorry. I, I was going down a path about mitigating risk. Okay, so diversifying is one way that you mitigate risk. Now, as you're watching economic news and things play out in the, in the uh, political world, you know, Ukraine being invaded by Russia and what, what impact is that going to have on my investments. And so what, what you don't want to do is, is play the, uh, the in or out game. Well, I need to move to cash. As, as I mentioned before, it's easy to make that decision. The hard one is when to get back in. And you usually get that wrong. And I, I've played that game to some extent too in the past, and I've been burned. I need to take my own advice. Which <laughs> you know, I, I'm not smart enough to ca- call a market top or a market bottom. I don't know. The things happen. So w- what you want to do is you want to pick your asset allocation. and You want to stick stick with it. A real interesting comment I, I heard from our, our endowment manager, High Ground Advisors. The uh, the chief investment officer. He made the statement that when problems occur in the world, we're that's where we earn our money. We are paid to be the big boy in the room, to be the adult in the room, (laughs) to tell our clients, stay the course, stay the course, which I I, I love that. You have to to be the adult, not, not to be the scared child. You know, how many people got scared when the whole pandemic hit and the market tanked? And how many people sold out? And then what happened? Instantly. Immediately, the market just bounced right back up and went gangbusters until now. So, you know, how many people lost millions of dollars, you know, collectively, maybe probably billions, staying out of market because they were afraid of what was going to happen. And it it bounced back a lot faster than I thought. Uh, So, you you just, if, if, if you have a long time horizon ahead, just stay the course. Now you can make you can make tactical asset allocation decisions. So maybe you shift a little bit from uh, risky technology stocks into some more de- uh, defensive sectors. You know, so you, you don't leave the s- stocks completely. Maybe you just you just cut some of your your uh, your growth stocks and put them in value. You know, so you make some small little adjustments. Maybe you move. You know, if, if bond if, uh, interest rates are really low, bonds are are very, particularly long bonds, are very uh, uh, risky right now because interest rates are going up. So uh, a bond manager would probably reduce the duration of their portfolio. So it's not that you, you just invest and forget about it, which you can, and that's not a bad strategy, but if you want to make some tweets, just make tweets, make small changes, not big, broad changes that, that are going to hurt you in the long run. You, you want to maintain your asset allocation that you selected. Stay the course, markets go up, they go down, and they generally come back up. Okay, so so diversification, tactical asset allocation, if you want, make small little changes. You can also, if if you have large positions in individual securities or or individual ETFs, you can uh, sell covered call options. If you think you're at a market top, um, I wouldn't suggest necessarily selling put options if you think you're at the bottom, but... I had a I know someone who had a significant stake in uh in triple Q. The uh it's the I think the NASDAQ ETF. the symbol is QQQ. They had a very significant stake in that and uh they were concerned about you know it it had run up for for years and uh how could they protect some of their profits? Well, you could buy some you could buy put options, you could you can buy options as insurance to protect your downside, but that's pretty costly. It costs a lot of money to buy, buy that insurance, portfolio insurance. But what he did instead was he he purchased or sold covered call options that were out of the money, above the current price, actually about 15% above the current price. He sold them, uh, they were probably three months in duration. So at the end of three months, if if the price of QQQ did not exceed that 15% increase in price, then the the premium from selling call option was all profit for him, which he was fine with. If it did go up 15%, trigger the, the call option, and he had to sell it to the purchaser of the call option, then, you know, well, he made 15% and, and uh, he made money on the call option and now he's going <laughs> to... You know, he sold it, but what he ended up doing is the, the market kind of bounced around and it never got close to his, his call strike prices. And he made about four or 5% over the last year on call premium. Actually, it might have been a little bit more. And it was a sizable stake. So I think he paid for his daughter's wedding with the funds. So it, it was, it was kind of a, it was a little bit of a risk mitigation. So I, I know that some portfolio managers do write or sell covered call options on underlying positions that they have to make a little extra income. You've got to do it very strategically, You've got to kind of know what you're doing. He did a very good job of managing that. So that that's, you know, that's that's one way. So it's but you can't eliminate risk. I mean you can. You can, but you're going to you're not going to have any return. That's true. Without risk there's ne- there's never a reward. Yeah, that's right. So I just have one final question. Uh, Do you have a book recommendation on portfolio management and or a business book to tell our audience about? Well, um, I have a couple that are pretty well-known. They're well-known books. Uh, uh, One is The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. Uh, Benjamin Graham was the – I think he was a Harvard professor. Anyway, he was uh, the mentor to Warren Buffett. The Intelligent Investor is is a very good book. Probably the most famous and most widely read book is called A Random Walk Down Wall Street by Burton Malkiel. And so that's that's kind of standard reading for investment people. And then uh, William Bernstein wrote a book called The Intelligent Asset Allocator. And uh, so that's an excellent book as well. So those are three that I'd, I'd recommend. They're not, not any bombshell new books that <laughs> just came out, but These are classics that will always be applicable. No, and I can't comment on the third one, but The Intelligent Investor and A Random Walk Down Wall Street, I can say are both great books. If you want to learn about investing, I couldn't recommend them more. So thank you for suggesting those books. And uh, Danny, thank you for coming on the show and really just sharing your knowledge about all this. Well, thanks for having me, Jack. uh, It was great having you in class and great to see you you moving on with your career. And uh, it's a privilege to be on your show.